Well, it's coming down to that time at Christmas where we study the Incarnation. Now, let's just take a look at it every year. and Whether it's the angel's conversation with Mary, Mary's response to the amazing news that she's just heard, the strange and seemingly isolated way that Jesus came into the world, the massive amount of fanfare that the angels performed for a tiny group of shepherds on third shift, the fact that only a small amount of people, uh, the Magi from the east, who weren't even from Jerusalem or Israel or surrounding areas, uh, people who weren't even connected necessarily to the current prophetic pulse of the nation, religiously speaking, because they were so fixated on Rome. Those people are the ones that prophetically discerned the coming of the Messiah when Jesus' own countrymen totally missed it. We focus on all these things and, and have over the years. But I want to come back down to just simply the incarnation today. And we talk about today as we dive into God became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, before we get started today, I want to encourage you to sign up for some of the Bible studies that we have available. You can go to BillVanderbush.com and there's two major Bible studies that we have available. A dear brother and I, Pastor Don Wallabaugh, he and I sat down together at my dining table and opened up our Bibles and went through the book of Hebrews and the book of Ephesians, verse by verse, and we just talk it out as, as uh, we've learned it for the last, for me, 30 years, for Don, 40 years of pastoral ministry. So we bring our collective 70 years of pastoral ministry together to just talk verse by verse through these amazing books. And it's really all pointing us to Christ, Jesus Christ the author and finisher of our faith, and the originator of the new covenant. We call it the Christic covenant because it's the covenant of Christ. And you are in Christ by his doing. And these books of Hebrews and Ephesians speak so deeply to not just why and how we are in Christ, but what does it mean for you and I as we walk that out in everyday life. And so Hebrews will make a case for the new covenant and Ephesians will teach you how to live it. It's kind of the New Covenant manual, if you wanted to say it that way. So sign up for those studies at BillVanderbush.com, and those studies are name your own price. That's right. You get the entire video study, do it at your own pace, and you have lifetime access, and you name the price. That's how important we think this is. We just wanted this to be something that was available to every person who has an appetite to learn more about the New Covenant. So sign up for that today. Well, let's pray. Well, Jesus, we just focus in on you today and we turn our attention to you, the author and finisher of our faith. And as we rest in the glorious work of the incarnation, may today it come alive to us in a new and living way. Holy Spirit, I know that you are present to speak to us, to heal us, to bring deliverance, to set captives free. May that today be a reality for those who are facing any kind of difficulty going into this Christmas season. Lord, I just trust that today you are setting people free from depression, fear, worry, bondage, rage, and hatred. God, I pray that as families come together, Lord, that there would be healing within relationships just as you're healing bodies. And thank you, Lord, that you don't heal us because we're good and you don't withhold healing from us because we're not good. You just simply heal us because you love us. Lord, we thank you that healing and salvation come to us in the same way. 
We thank you for the grace that sets us free, saves, delivers, and heals us. So Lord, let that grace just flow over every person that's listening to this podcast today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I woke up with this phrase recently, and it was included in the incarnation. And that's what I've titled today's message. You know, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 tells us when it comes to the cross that you and I got crucified with Christ. That's why we often talk about being included on the cross. And don't mistake this for the modern gospel of inclusion that says, well, because of what Jesus did, everybody's just automatically saved. There still is an element of freedom, the, the ability to actually make a choice, and that actually matters in the scripture. And that means that you hear about the fact that the atonement, what Christ paid for on the cross, was for you. God, by his Holy Spirit, gives you the grace to believe it, and you exercise the faith to receive it. And so that's the point where you say, Jesus, I receive your grace. And that's where salvation comes to you and me. Maybe today that's for you. So when a person turns to Jesus and hears the message of the cross, and the message of what the cross accomplished, and begins to understand a little bit about the revelation of what the new covenant has brought to us, apart from our works, that it's the work of the grace of God alone, it's Christ alone that did the work, then by faith we receive and step into the reality of that. Well, you know, we come to that reality and we go, oh my goodness, that I was in the cross, I was in that moment, I was included in that moment. But what if you being in Christ goes back even before the cross? And if that's the case, then what can we learn a little bit about the life of Christ, the introduction of Christ into the world, and the importance of moments that are just as easy to miss as they are to catch? What could the life of Christ teach us, perhaps, about even being human? I mean, the reality is, is do any of us really even know how to live in this life? Is there a manual that comes with this thing? I mean, when you got put onto this earth and you didn't even ask to be here? Well, I think the life of Christ can teach us a lot about how to live and move and have our being in this world. So I want to talk to you about not just our inclusion in the cross, but the incarnation as well. All right, if you got your Bibles, we're going to jump all over the place today. Now, the doctrine of the incarnation is really one of the most phenomenal prophetic declarations that ever came down throughout the Old Testament and even in the middle of the Old Covenant. It's like prophets in the Old Covenant were prophesying of the incarnation of one who was going to come and actually establish a new covenant. When he came, they didn't like who he was, so therefore they didn't like what he was bringing, even though he was healing people and raising the dead. But... The idea that came out of First uh, John, First uh, John chapter four, John had said, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this you know the spirit of God. That every spirit that confesses Jesus has come in the flesh, is and he goes and talks about, is of God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now." John here refers to prophets who deny that God became flesh. And that's kind of how you tell who a false prophet is. If, if Jesus uh, was not God in the flesh in your mind, then rethink what you believe to be true. Because that's what it's all come down to in the gospel, is that the Son of God became the Son of Man so that sons of men 
could become the sons of God. The incarnation was so unique in all of prophetic history that when the angel announced to Mary that she would conceive in her womb and bear a son, this is her response. She says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? That's Luke chapter 1 and verse 34. And Mary knew at least enough about the process of human procreation to perceive that what the angel was telling her was not humanly possible. Well, the answer of the angel it doesn't really solve any problems. This has been one of my biggest headaches about the way angels and people communicate down through the ages. It seems like the angel doesn't fully understand that what he's about to say to this girl is not going to be adequate in terms of explaining the technicalities on a human level. But angels are tapped into the mystery, so here we are. It's not about the biological laws of human conception, but it's really about an introduction to this reality, and that is the power of God can work with flesh or through a body, a human being, by his spirit. And that's true with you and me today. That's why I say the incarnation has never really stopped. God is still in flesh moving in this world. Why? Because he's made you the temple of his Holy Spirit, He's chosen to place his spirit within you. So as the prophets down through the ages went through all these lists of how you know whether a person is a false or a true prophet, everybody's looking you know, for deception. But then it comes to this incarnational moment where everything culminates, all of the prophetic words about the coming of the Messiah now culminate in a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they'll call his name Emmanuel when that sign happens, they don't have any wonder for it. They wonder whether or not it's a scandal. That's the deal. They should have known that there was something legitimate here because their true prophets have prophesied that this was going to happen. And yet they were so religiously crusty in their perspective and narrow-minded in their focus that in their mind, it had to happen a certain way. This is one of the hardest parts about discerning the word of the Lord when it comes to you, is when somebody gives you a prophetic word about something that is is to happen, let's say. Even in the Bible, we still have some prophetic words that seem to linger out there about the last days and the end times. What One of the dangers of those words, of us dwelling into those words too deeply, is that we start to formulate in our mind exactly what it's going to look like when all those things happen. And when those things don't happen the way that we think they should happen, then we can end up actually rejecting what God is actually doing because our concepts or our projections on what we think should be happening aren't happening the way we thought. And this is exactly what happened with the Incarnation. I mean, how much more blatant can you get with guys like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah who said, "'A virgin shall conceive and bear a son.'" and they will call his name Emmanuel. Well, here comes Mary. She's had a visitation from an angel. The angels also visited Joseph. Joseph and Mary are united in this reality that God is actually going to, by the power of his spirit, implant into the womb of Mary the very Son of God. Mary's going to be a bearer of the glory of God. A virgin will conceive and bear a son. Did nobody remember that prophecy? Or was the prophecy not being fulfilled in a way that was religiously acceptable to the religious leaders of the day? 
I think of the way that God had come and instituted the, the uh, and I mentioned this, I believe, on the podcast last week, but uh, or on, on a podcast somewhere last week. But God had come and instituted the old Mosaic Covenant with a ton of pomp and circumstance. There was lightning and thunder and earthquakes and all kinds of fanfare. It was so terrifying that people wouldn't even get close to the presence of the Lord, and they decided they didn't want to ever, ever hear him speak again because it was just too much. So now, when the greatest moment in human history comes, not even the establishment of a new covenant here at this point yet, but the incarnation of God into man comes with so little fanfare on the human stage that the celebration that we all do every year at Christmas time with choirs and cantatas and angels flying around in churches hanging on wires and all of the lights that we put up that ultimately, however it's been warped down through commercialism, all ties back to this reality that none of us would be doing any of this if Jesus hadn't come in the flesh. All of the fanfare of Christmas as we know it began in very hushed tones. And for many, many years, nobody regarded it as even worthy of mention. But then here comes the new covenant. And when does that get inaugurated? Is that, is that with a lot of fanfare? No, it happens over a meal, over a dinner. At a certain point during the conversation at dinner, Jesus re reaches out and he takes a hold of the cup of wine and he takes a hold of the bread. And then he makes an announcement that says, this is my body and this is my blood. My body broken for you and my blood shed for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. There's some drama at the table, but the meal goes on. And after the meal, nobody seems to be dwelling on that moment. As a matter of fact, when Jesus is arrested and he's getting crucified, we don't hear a single one of the disciples go, did anybody catch what he said there at the table? But that was the moment where the new covenant was introduced by the covenant maker and covenant keeper himself over a meal. And here's what I'm getting at. God will hide cataclysmic, massive moments in the most mundane, simple experiences of life. Moments that are so quick, that go by so fast, they're just as easy to miss as they are to catch. Don't think that the greatest moment in your life has to come with a lot of pomp and circumstance. A single word from God may be all you need to hear in order to have a life-altering change. I, I know people who have had an entire life altered just because of one conversation that they had with somebody where they felt the goodness and the glory of God on it. Sat down with a man this past week. had an interesting experience happen. I was walking to meet him at a coffee shop, and I was listening to a podcast that somebody recommended to me. And in this podcast, the character in the podcast made a statement. And the statement made me think of the man I was about to meet. And the statement made me think about something that suddenly got stirred in my heart that I believe God wanted to do for the man that I was about to meet. So we sat down in the coffee shop, and just nonchalantly, I just looked at him across the table, and in between sips of our coffee, I just said, listen, I just had a thought today, and I wanted to share it with you. And I asked him a question about what would it be like if God came and did this for you? 
And this man began to weep, just sitting there at the table. He was just overcome. Why? Because God had already spoken to him something that in his heart and his mind seemed too good to be true and too out of reach. But it was the same thing that God spoke to me on the way over there. And it was just simply, listen, it wasn't, let's stand on the table and announce this to an entire restaurant because something's been changed and a fire's been reignited in the heart of, of a child of God here. No, that wasn't it. Sometimes the most important moments of change that you ever encounter will happen in a singular moment that's as quick as a breath and may come and go without anybody else around knowing it. That's why being present is so necessary. To, to let everything come down to the moment that you're standing in and say, God, is this you? Are you speaking to me? And then just stop and capture it for a second. You know, when Moses and, and the children of Israel would have these moments, there were memorializations that happened around moments like this, you know, uh, big moments that everybody kind of caught part of. You, you would memorialize these moments. But when did the new covenant happen? It was such a small moment that we still argue about it today. I mean, it, it, did it happen, you know, uh, did it happen when Jesus lifted the bread and the wine and said, this is the new covenant, my blood? Did it happen when he was hanging on the cross and he said, it is finished and the veil was torn? Did it happen in A.D. 70 when the temple of Jerusalem was burnt and they could no longer do the old covenant sacrifices again and that brought the old covenant sacrificial system to a complete end once and for all? Or did it happen from before the foundation of the world for Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world? Just to melt your mind a little bit there. I mean, when did it happen? I mean, the reality is, is the moment was so small in human history that we don't exactly know where to pinpoint it. Some theologians have taken to say, well, it's just an overlap. It's from the cross to AD 70. There's a 40-year overlap of the Old and the New Covenant. And in practice, yes, but Paul said, all of your practice is really worth nothing. It's, it's absolutely worthless at this point. In other words, even though it was practiced physically, it lacked all power spiritually. When did the moment happen? See, the Incarnation and the New Covenant together make up a moment in history that is so small and simple on the calendar that we don't realize the gravity of it because no fireworks went off. I mean, the whole world didn't just stop. I believe all of heaven stopped, but the whole world didn't just stop and stare at the weight of this moment. But let's just take a second and step inside the moment of incarnation. It's important that we realize that without the Incarnation, there would have been no revelation of the New Covenant. For the New Covenant came as every other covenant had ever come, and that is through blood. And so, to understand the Incarnation is to understand that divinity came into humanity. So we find in Christ human nature and divine nature. Now, when somebody says, well, I'm only human, uh, and they think of that in terms of like a, a bad thing, you know, some people excuse their sin by saying, well, I'm only human. They excuse their, their lack of self-control uh, or giving into temptation by saying, well, I'm just human anyway. And so after all, I'm just human. Whenever they say that, essentially they're equating themselves down with animals as if to say, Listen, animals have a particular nature. I mean, a lion goes and attacks the gazelle because a lion, he's a lion and the gazelle's a gazelle, and that's just what they do. 
It's it's the it's the snake that bites and says, I, I have to. It's just what I do. I just am. And so when we get to a point where we encounter something in our lives that feels a little out of control, what do we end up doing? We kind of come back to our humanity and go, I'm, I'm only human. Well, would God say such a thing? Well, we would say, well, God wouldn't sin. Yeah, but he became human. God became a man. And I believe he became a man for a number of different reasons. I mean, he accomplished a lot of things in that. In addition to establishing and cutting the new covenant in blood, in addition to uh, uh, living out the human experience in such a way that he could actually identify with what it's like to be human, he actually shows us how to be human. Jesus shows us how to live life transcending human emotion, transcending human limitation, transcending human desperation, transcending human uh, uh, cares and worries and all of those things, transcending mere humanity by listening to the voice of the Father. You say, okay, that's a nice example for me, but what does that really mean? Well, I want you to begin to see yourself in Christ, not just from the cross onward. I want you to see yourself in Christ, not just in the resurrection, but in the cradle. Not just on the cross, but in the stable. You say, Bill, I don't know, what, what does that even mean? Well, the Bible tells, tells us God chose us to be in Christ from before the foundation of the world. And in that cradle, God, deity, stepped into flesh, into humanity, and showed us what it looks like to actually grow in grace, to grow in wisdom and favor with God and man, to grow and live surrendered to obedience to the will of the Father, to grow strong, to grow in that surrendered obedience, to grow and learn to love on such a deep level that wisdom doesn't make us haughty and proud, it only makes us love more. See, Jesus lived his life fully God and fully man to show us how to be human. You say, I'm not God. You're right. You're not God and neither am I. But his Holy Spirit has filled you. If you're a Christian, his Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. And Colossians 2.9, in him the fullness of the Godhead dwells in a body and in him you have been made complete. Now, because of that, you are, according to Corinthians, the temple of the Holy Spirit spirit. So that means the fullness of deity lives in you, God lives in you, but you're also still human. Now, which nature are you going to draw from? You ask yourself, well, I can't be like Jesus. I mean, he never was in conflict. Oh no, he was. He never sinned, but that didn't mean that he didn't have internal conflicts when it came to certain directions. Do you remember the incident in the Garden of Gethsemane? As Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the the human side of him doesn't want to go to the cross. Why? Because that's torture. That's pain. That's rejection. That is experiencing the worst of humanity poured out upon you in in all of their rejection and wrath and torture. I mean, humanity can be brutal. And we've all experienced that to some extent, especially if you've been online. But the side of Jesus... The fullness of divinity was connected to the Father. And here's the amazing part about this moment of wrestling. Jesus literally shows us the difficulty in what it's like to surrender to the voice of the Father, especially when the voice of the Father is drawing you into a direction 
that may physically call you to, to suffer. You're like, wait, wait, wait. God wouldn't call me to suffer. Listen, God laid down his own life to redeem us. What are we willing to lay down in terms of our comforts to bring the gospel to other people? Missionaries have been doing this for generations. So if you say God doesn't call us to suffer, listen, every single person that was ever called by God uh, shared in the Bible shared the same uh, same exact response in terms of especially Old Testament prophets, and that was reluctance. It wasn't until Jesus said, follow me, that you actually see people really excited about following. But that's only because they didn't know this was God. In their mind, this is just another guy who's out doing amazing things. But once it started to become apparent that there's more than just the human nature at work here, there's the divine nature here. And Jesus starts unveiling things like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Oh, now everybody wants to leave. Why? Because following man is easy. Following God is not. Following man is all about your comfort. Following God is all about you giving up your rights to yourself, your selfishness being in charge. Following God is all about you laying your lives down for others. For greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. And, and Jesus demonstrates the reality of this self-sacrificing compassion. And that's the beauty of the cross. And listen, if you only see yourself in terms of, of in Christ as after the resurrection, well, you may learn how to live, in a sense, in victory, but you're missing so much of what God has implanted in our story, in our heritage, until you find yourself included in the cradle. From the cradle, from the from, from the cradle to the cross, Jesus literally learns, the Bible says, Hebrews 5, obedience through that which he suffered. Now we get to the other side of the cross and you think, hey, I live a resurrected life. There's no more suffering. Uh, that's not necessarily true. You can learn how to live in victory on this side of the cross uh, just by knowing that the spirit of the resurrected Christ lives in you and that you're filled with his Holy Spirit and that he's called you to victory and that he's ap appointed you to the gifts of the Holy Spirit upon your lives and, 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 and placed in everything everything in you necessary uh, pertaining to life and godliness and all of the things that we, we know from the word of God. But what happens when you encounter suffering? This is where I go back to the moments between the cradle and the cross because Jesus himself who knew no sin and who had all of the answers, came up with all kinds of questions and was tempted as all of us are, yet without sin. In other words, even though he faced temptation, he never, never experienced a moment of distance or separation between him and the Father. And suffering so often brings us to places where we feel forsaken by God. And the reality is even Jesus felt that forsakenness, but he knew that he wasn't. And the, re the reality for you and I is even if we feel forsaken, we're not. And so this Christmas season, at Easter we talk about how we got crucified with Christ. You know, I think in, in, the, in the stable, in the cradle there, Jesus brought us into the incarnation with him fully to experience in him what it's like to actually be human. And, and listen, I realized this is my first run at being human, okay? I, I don't expect to have another one. I think we get one shot at this deal. 
And the same thing with you. How would it be if we had a God that wasn't familiar with all of our humanity? I find tremendous comfort not in that God weakened himself, let his glory go, all of the phrases that theology likes to use. I find tremendous comfort in the fact that God held on to his sovereignty, his power, his glory, all of his divinity, and stepped into flesh, and apparently stepped into every limitation that you and I ever could and ever will. And how did he overcome every limitation, every weakness? every moment of temptation, by reliance upon the voice of the Father, by coming to the realization that he is not alone, and neither are you. So Lord, I pray today that as we see your incarnation, that we will see ourselves included in that incarnation, that we will find ourselves walking through life with you as our reference point for how to do this, for how to even be human. Thanks, Jesus, for all of it. Thank you for this Christmas season. Thank you for the incarnation and the new covenant. Amen. You can write to us at Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. Go to BillVanderbush.com, download the Bible studies I mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast today. The study on Hebrews and the study of, on Ephesians are both available. One's 21 lessons long, each 30 minutes piece. The other one's 15 lessons long, and you name your own price for both studies. As you walk through the rest of this month, be present in the moment, be present with the people around you, and, and let the love of God flow through your humanity this week. This is Bill from all of us here at Faith Mountain Ministries. Until next time, may the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.